You have 24 minutes, the podcast from 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. Have you ever had someone spike the punch at a house party, spike your drink at a bar, or worse yet, stick you with a syringe containing a powerful sedative? Did you report it? Let's hear from Don Dines, founder of the organization Stamp Out Spiking. We will talk about common forms of spiking and their long-term effects, how underreporting gives power to the perpetrators, the fact that men are also victims, and what you and others can do to stamp out spiking. Here are 24 Minutes with Don Dines. Stamp Out Spiking came around, really, I've been campaigning against this disgusting crime. It all started off with drink spiking, but then it quickly, I realized that spiking can happen in so many different forms. So I've been running as a not-for-profit organization for the last two decades. And really I'm on a mission to educate and protect on this hugely underreported crime. What is spiking? So spiking is when you put something into somebody else's body without their consent or knowledge. So this can range from your typical most common form is drink spiking. And it's normally extra alcohol put into either an alcoholic or a non-alcoholic drink. So that's the most common form of spiking. And funny enough, Randall, it's normally done by people who love you, Mm -hmm. which is so weird. Because it's, you know, your best friends or your 18th birthday, your 21st birthday. And I think this is how it's all started. It's all extra alcohol, trying to get the party started. But if that person hasn't given their consent or knowledge, they might be operating machinery. They might be on medication. They might have to drive later. So I think That's how it all began, really. And it's quickly then moved on to people using different drugs, which can go from rahipnol, your typical date rape drug, through to ketamine, can be prescription drugs, part of the benzodiazepam family. There's a multitude of drugs that are being used, which you can get quite easily, especially prescription drugs. So that's quite frightening, just in its just on its own, um, let alone looking at the dark web. So what would be the motivation? You're saying the motivation for some people to, I mean, there's a nefarious kind of thing. I'm going to drug you so I could take advantage of you in some capacity, but there's also that, that let's get the party started. Definitely. It's, and you know what, within the UK, now people are saying, oh, it was just a prank. You know, we were just doing it for a laugh. So I don't really know what sort of people that go around get people into such a state that they lose bladder control, they're violently sick, their eyes are rolling in the back of their head, their jaw is swinging from side to side. So that doesn't sound like a prank to me. It sounds like somebody was trying to take advantage of somebody and maybe their friends caught hold of them when they were leaving the club. Maybe somebody intervened. So I keep hearing this time and time again. Oh, yeah, a lot of people just do it for a prank. This isn't fun for anybody. Well, there was a video that just recently you posted and shared of a young woman who had been spiked and she was telling telling her story and her experience and what it meant to her. Can you tell us about that little video snippet? Yeah, well, you know, the lady, you can tell she's in she's totally distressed. 
And um, allegedly she got needles spiked. Mm. And from her own words, she thought she was going to die. So I hear this time and time again from so many victims that that they think something dreadful is going to happen to them because their their heart is racing. They can't concentrate. They've got no control over their body. And if that was in an untoward situation, you can imagine what that poor lady could have gone through. I've spoken to victims who have been raped and told me that they couldn't even open their eyes to see what the perpetrator looked like. So I just can't imagine what that must feel like to a man or a woman. Who well, And what, what do you mean by needles spiked? Well, we've we've had this last year. Luckily, it's only a very small percentage in the UK compared to drink spiking or spiking by other means. But it's when somebody comes up and just pricks you with a needle. And, you know, we a saw syringe. What, a, a medical a, syringe. Okay. A medical syringe. Mm. All right. And so, I think that's the incidence of something that's happened in the States. There was a series of reports in the New York City gay bars where some men were getting needles spiked and then they were being taken advantage of and their phones were being used for facial recognition. The perpetrators could then hold the phone over the victim's face, have access to their entire bank account, yeah, bank account everything. So I see. So what's it to yeah. that? That's happening here as well, Randall. Oh my God. Yeah. The minds of some people. Who is affected by spiking? Men, women, age groups, ethnicities? What do we know? Well, what we found out is that typically it's between the 18 to 24-year-old range. But to be honest with you, the amount of victims that I've spoken to, spiking has no prejudice. It can happen to male. It can happen to female. We know a lot of the LGBTQ community are being affected by this. So, like I said, it has no prejudice. It can happen to anybody. A friend of mine recently, 62-year-old male, got spiked. And, you know, I spoke to him a few days later and he said to me, Dawn, I was so frightened. I, I rang the ambulance and, you know, he said, I thought I was having a heart attack and I thought I was going to die. And now he's got real anxiety about going out again. So it's not just that moment. It's also the mental health repercussions for these victims, you know, what, what they suffer with and what their families suffer with as well. What residual effects are there on people who have been spiked, not just the physical ones, but also the emotional ones? Well, I spoke to a lady recently who's who's an author and she got spiked and she got um and she got raped. And she came back to me and now all these years later, she's been getting these flashbacks of certain areas where she just remembers trying to put her hand up to push this person away. And she said she's getting these flashbacks. She's suffering with her mental health. She's gone in and tried to speak to somebody about it. And it's bringing back all these dreadful emotions in her. But I hear from lots of different people about flashbacks of coming back, of just just remembering the slightest little thing that happened to you. And, you know, one lady, for example, said that she got spiked and raped and she got dressed back into her clothes and put into her car and was driven down a um, down a, a laneway. 
And when she actually came round, the mist was just rising. And she said from that day to this, so she sees mist now, this whole, her whole body is engulfed with these dreadful feelings of, of bringing back what this man done to her. And she was raped anally as well. She doesn't know from that day to this if it was just that man or there was other men that were involved. She doesn't know if she was filmed, you know, and all these anxiety feelings are just me absolutely dreadful. I hadn't thought about that too, the prospects of having been filmed or recorded in that act. Yeah. Wow. So what are comparisons between the UK and the US? Um, US data is hard to find about uh, the incidence of spiking. What What do we know? Percentage of population, etc.? So about three years ago, we ran a, a national survey in the UK and we found out that over 97% of victims didn't report this crime to the police. So we were like, why? So we delved into it much further and it turns out that they were embarrassed. Lots of people were really embarrassed. They felt ashamed that they'd been caught out in this way. Um, some people did report it to the police and they were accused of having too much to drink. Um, I think that's lack of education on a lot of people's part, to be honest with you. And, you know, in the UK, it's not a specific offence to spike somebody. So if you were poisoning with obnoxious substance or if it was against the 1861 Against the Parsons Act, then then that would have to be spiking with malicious intent. So it's very difficult to prove that that spiking was done with malicious intent unless another crime takes place. So if you were to get sexually assaulted or robbery or death, then obviously there's another crime that takes place and that's how it would be recorded. So it's virtually impossible to get this all important data that we need. I contacted all of the police forces across the whole of the UK to request their freedom of information data. And I kept getting like contacted back and the police were saying, I'm really sorry, it's impossible to do that. So I had to then go back again and again and say, OK, can we have the data with poisoning with obnoxious substance, poisoning by spiking, spiking with a needle, uh, with intent? And it, it was just impossible task. So then I thought, well, how is this crime being recorded so then I delved further into it, and this led me on to becoming an expert witness at Westminster um, for my campaigning work, I believe, because I kept trying to go, well, if that's not recordable, then how do we get this data? So I just carried on banging on the doors of the authorities, banging on the doors of the authorities, till now it became a movement, I've got to say. We had a girls' night in in the UK. And it wasn't until hundreds and thousands of pounds suddenly stopped being spent in our nighttime economy. Oh, very smart. That's when I believe somebody went, whoa, what is going on? So now there's been a um, an inquest into this. We, we have our ministers currently looking at the current legislation, and we're hoping that spiking has now become a criminal offence within its own right. The power of the purse. 
That's a, yes. a, a wonderful message, I think, also for the women of North America, that um, uh, the power is in your hands to do something about this. So you said there's legislation currently underway being developed in the UK. I've followed some of the leaders in the UK talking about this. Some people have been picking this up and beginning to run forward with that. What What is the promise of that? Other than the fact of making it illegal, then what does that mean? It's spiking is illegal, but it's it's done under another crime. So it is illegal to spike. What we want is it to be recognized as a criminal offense in its own right. So it gives a clear and concise message to the general public and to the perpetrators that there is going to be big consequences if you if you carry out this crime. When there are laws on the books and the consequences are not necessarily enforced, we're dealing with uh, underreported crime. It seems to me like it works to the advantage often of the perpetrator. Exactly. Until spiking is recognized as a separate criminal offense, then uh, and only then do we believe that all the key emergency services will be adequately trained and resourced to be able to deal with this crime. That's so important. I see. I see. And that would be the same case, I would bet, in the States. So what can people do to prevent themselves from being spiked? And I would like to talk here a little bit about it's not just what you drink and it's not just being there getting a needle injected into your ass, but it also might be at a friend's party. Okay, so we are actually distributing our stop tops, which are like a sticky piece of foil which you can stick over a glass or a bottle or a can to stop an opportunist from easily being able to slip something into your drink. Never leave your drink unattended, of course. And if you go to a house party, everyone always assumes that everyone knows everybody at the house party, but you don't. There's always people, there's always going to be gate crashes at a private party. So anything could go into the punch. So never drink the punch. Always take your own drinks with you so that you know what you're pouring, what what is going into your own glass. If you go out and some some, um, man or woman offers to buy you a drink, go with them to the bar. Watch it. Watch your drink getting poured and say, oh, thank you very much. You know, carry on the conversation. And I'd just like to say to anyone who's listening is that I keep hearing everybody say, oh, you know, always look out for your friends when you go out. Actually, look out for everyone when you go out. If you see somebody doing something untoward over in the bar, in a restaurant, at a house party, go and tell someone who's in charge. Go and tell the security. Go and tell the person who works behind the bar. I just think people have got really selfish these days. (laughs) It just seems that, you know, everyone's looking out for themselves Let's have a bit of community spirit on this. It's really needed to be able to pull those perpetrators out. I agree with you 100%. That's called active bystander in many instances. There are some very valuable resources on your website that people can take and use, whether they're in the UK or the US, that will be helpful for them in terms of um, messages and graphics to reinforce what people can do. I also saw some data um, Don, that spoke to um, the incidence of in, in spiking among men and women, how more often uh, men are spiked by a friend and women yes. are more often spiked by a f- stranger. 
Well, do you know what? We've been looking at some of this data and we had one of the largest male rapists in the whole history across the globe. We had a um, he was an Asian gentleman who was up in Manchester and he raped, we believe, over 200 men. And do you know what was so frightening about that? It's not one of those men came forward. And it wasn't until the last person, his last victim, that came forward. And then they realized that he'd been videoing all of the all of his victims. It was just the most awful case of criminal spikings. And when they spoke to some of his university colleagues, they said that you wouldn't have even thought he would have got a parking ticket. The guy was just a really shy, just really polite gentleman was what was said. Obviously not. When we look at the spikings, we just don't have that data. You know, when we speak to victims, I always I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of victims over the last two decades. And when I've asked people, you know, did they have a clue? Some of them have said they think that they're in their friendship group and they're still in their friendship group. And how do they call that person out without any proof? Which, you know, is splitting up, is obviously splitting up friendships. I've heard from other women that there's that there's women that are spiking other women and taking them to men when they're in a terrible state. There's men obviously using spiking with distraction. So that's another form that it's happening. So until we make this into a criminal offence and we can start profiling some of the people that are being caught for this crime, I think it's still going to be a mystery. Well, what can some businesses do? Nighttime businesses, bars, restaurants. Are bartenders supportive? Are they mindful of what's going on? Well, do you know what? I got my publican's license so that I can now go in and run a pub. And I was being a bit of a secret squirrel, to be honest with you, because I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to find out, you know, I was like, what is happening? You know, when you go for your publican's license, there's not one question in the UK that asks about spiking, that talks about spiking with extra alcohol that talks about with, with drugs, what drugs are being used, what are the signs, the symptoms, an immediate call to action. Let's get a policy, a procedure, a risk assessment. We do all of those things at Stamp Out Spiking. So, of course, number one, I'm going to say, come and speak to us. We've got accredited training programs where we can train up all those key personnel. Like, you know, we, we want the police to be to to know the signs and the symptoms of, of what these drugs look like. But also we want in the UK, we have street pastors and these are right. amazing people. Right. They volunteer their time. They come out at nighttime to keep people safe that are out partying. We're training up the street pastors. We want to train up taxi drivers. These are like your fourth emergency service to me. Right. These are the people that can... And and security officers, of course, you know, the, the bouncers or the, the nightclub security officers, those people can be the difference between you getting home safely or potentially gang raped. So they are so important in our society. And I think it's funding that's needed to upskill all those key, my fourth emergency service. 
Well, it's also the opportunity, I think, for businesses to assume the responsibility themselves. I'm speaking with Dawn Dine. She's founder of Stamp Out Spiking in the UK. Uh, the website is stampoutspiking.org. It doesn't matter. They're not going to check to see if you're from the UK to go to their website and tap into the resources there. So no matter where you are in the world, go take a look. And also, they're on social media. I have a very active Twitter account at Stamp Out Spiking. My final word of you, Dawn, and because I read this somewhere, tell us about what brought you into this advocacy role and why spiking matters to you personally so much. Okay, so when I was back in 1989, when I was a little whippersnapper running around the globe, and somebody tried to spike my drink, and I caught him in the act. I went to use the bathroom. When I came back, his hand was hovering near my drink. He pulled it back. All the hairs on the back of my neck went up and I thought he's done something to my drink. And do you know what? I've got to say to anyone out there, if you get that gut feeling, you get that feeling that there's something wrong, always act upon it because that saved me that day. And later on in life, many years later, a friend and I were in Mexico in a restaurant and some drinks got sent over to us and we drunk them. And do you know what? I caught a look in the eye of like the waiter and he looked at these guys and one of them looked at like another entrance, like to this room. And I saw someone going in, being like taken in this. And I all again, all the hairs on the back of my neck went up and I thought they'd done something. So I grabbed my friend and she was like, what are you doing? We haven't even had lunch. I threw some money down through the drinks. We got out of there. We 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 hailed down a taxi got back to our apartment and I think we slept for about 32 hours so whatever they put into our drinks that would have knocked us out and do you know what Randall we could have been addicted to heroin by the time we came round and trust me being spiked is not the way you want to launch your film career this has been season 2 episode 6 of 24 minutes from 24 hour nation Visit us at 24hournation.com and follow us on social media at 24hournation. My name is Randall White.